Hello and welcome to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark. And uh, today we want to continue our study on the topic of eternal security. And we have been using a definition from our friends at Duluth Bible Church regarding eternal security, uh, which states eternal security means that one who has been genuinely saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone shall never be in danger of God's condemnation or loss of his salvation, but are kept forever saved and secure by God's grace and power. And um, when we talk about eternal security and assurance of salvation, we make a distinguishing comment between the two, whereas eternal security reflects the certainty of a person's salvation from God's viewpoint, whereas assurance of salvation reflects the certainty of a person's salvation from man's viewpoint. From God's viewpoint, he knows exactly the moment someone transfers their trust or reliance upon uh, anything else and puts it completely and squarely on Jesus Christ and his finished work. Um, And at that moment, we believe the Bible teaches that that person whom God knows uh, trusted in his son and his finished work are saved eternally, can never lose their salvation. Now, assurance of salvation uh, is a certainty from a uh, human being's uh, viewpoint as as to their salvation. And that that can fluctuate depending on someone's understanding of doctrine, uh, someone's understanding of the finished work or the value of the finished work of Jesus Christ, uh, maybe some uh, teaching that they've been exposed to or haven't been exposed to, et cetera. And that tends to fluctuate. And for many people with uh, assurance, it fluctuates based on their own behavior, sinfulness, lack of sinfulness. Sometimes, some days they feel really uh, confident about their salvation because maybe they've done something uh, in, in terms of spiritual service that they feel really confident or comfortable about. Uh, but then maybe a week or two later when they've made a mistake, they've lost their temper, um, they may not feel as assured that day. And so the goal of of our study is to try to uh, promote what the Bible says about security from God's perspective so that our assurance of salvation could match up uh, with God's perspective on security. And so that's what we've been looking at. But but obviously in the Bible, many passages come up and uh, many people are confused and they say, well, yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying. I, I see that life is eternal, but what about this passage? What about that passage? And there's objections that come up. And so in this round of studies, we want to look at a couple of passages in the book of 1 John. And um, one of the things that we want to do is establish a context for 1 John. And um, by doing so, we want to point out that the main theme of 1 John was that it was written to believers. Uh, It was most likely believers in Asia Minor, probably Ephesus. And the whole main theme of the book is to encourage them to walk with the Lord in face of what we would call normal obstacles uh, to Christian living, but as well as false teaching that had infiltrated the area. And so we know that the audience of the book of 1 John was most likely written to a group of Gentile believers, at least largely Gentile believers, who were coming out of a pagan culture, Um, and probably some believing Jews as well, although the majority were probably these Gentile believers. And, you know, one of the reasons we believe that the audience was written largely to believers is because the Apostle John personally identifies himself with the readers by using pronouns such as we and us. Uh, We see that in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We see that chapter uh, 2, 
1 through 2, and also in verse 25. We see that in chapter 4, verses 7, 11, and 19. We also see that in chapter 5, verses 11, and then 19 through 20. We see how he identifies himself with the readers. And then we also see some of the direct addresses that John uses for his readers, identify them as believers. One such phrase is, my little children, uh, used seven times in the book. The phrase, brethren, used twice in the book. The the phrase, children of God, um, also used uh, four times in the book. And then the phrase, beloved, or the word beloved, used five times in the book. And so it's a very strong argument that he is addressing fellow believers. He's not addressing people uh, of whom he's not sure of their salvation or he's questioning their salvation. And that's going to really bear into play as we look at these passages that many people will have questions on. And so the reason for for writing uh, this book and the themes uh, is often well, is often debated by many well-meaning and sound Bible teachers. And so the two themes that I think that most people uh, agree with is uh, number one, to warn of false teaching and false teachers. Uh, We know that there was false teaching that existed in Asia during John's lifetime, such as um, Judaism and and overemphasis on Jewish fables and those types of things, but also uh, Gnosticism, uh, Docetism, the teachings of uh, Serenthus, who was a well-known Gnostic, uh, and others. And so that was clearly um, one of the, the themes or reasons for writing the epistle that John had. Um, the second one was to encourage uh, believers to walk with the Lord and enjoy the abundant life. See, fellowship with God is the essence of enjoying the eternal life that we already possess as believers. And see, false teaching tries to rob us of this, and thus knowledge of the truth combats this. When we have an accurate understanding of the truth, um, you're you're going to see that that uh, fellowship with the Lord uh, is important. This is this is what is what combats false teaching, and so hence you'll see the emphasis in First John on knowing God, um, knowing Him, knowing that He desires fellowship with us, knowing that our salvation is secure. We read that uh, just important verse in First John five thirteen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's this desire to know that um, because it impacts our fellowship. And again, these are kind of just a couple of points that support this theme. You know, one of the things we see in 1 John is there was apparently false teachers uh, who had also left the church, but were still harassing those inside the church and enticing them from an outside position. And so these were some of the things going on in the background. Now, one of the things that's very interesting when we consider 1 John and also the Gospel of John uh, is that First John and John, the book of John, Gospel of John, both deal with eternal life. Um, one deals with how to get it, and the other one deals with how to enjoy it more fully. Um, both of both of these uh, writings also emphasize that being born again has only one condition, and that is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Whereas being in fellowship with God has multiple conditions as summarized in chapters one, five through 10. And those conditions uh, really in, in summary form are walking in the light and then confessing known sins. And so again, we see some similarities there between the book of John and the and, and first John. Um, but we also see some distinctions, again, that, that they both deal with eternal life, just different aspects of it. 
Um, and then the, the fact that being born again requires one condition, that's faith in the finished work of Christ, being in fellowship requires multiple conditions. And again, just a couple of detail there in the chapter, uh, chapter one. And so we want to consider a passage, though, in chapter two, uh, as it relates to eternal security. And, and so in chapter two of 1 John, verses three through six, let's go ahead and read the passage, and then um, we'll kind of deal with this as we go uh, in more detail. So verse three, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whatever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, one of the things that we're going to see is uh, before we get into this pa- uh, this passage verse by verse, is you're going to see that the word know uh, is used four times in this passage. And then you're going to see the word keep is also used three times in this passage. So those are going to be key words that we want to define and consider as we go through. And so in verse three, he says, if we keep his commandments, and this is a third class condition in the Greek, meaning if we keep his commandments, and I hope we will, um, the third class condition in the Greek communicates hope that the condition will be fulfilled, but there is some uncertainty or doubt in the writer's mind as to whether the condition will be met. Now, what is really telling about this is that John includes himself in this conditional statement. Notice the use of the word we. And so uh, conceptually, not only is John talking about his readers here, but he's talking about himself as, as well. Maybe John will, and maybe John won't, is, is what he's saying. And so the condition in this case is keeping his commandments. And so it brings up this word keep, which is a very important word to understand when we look at it biblically, but especially in the writings of John, because he tends to use this word a lot, because this word keep is the Greek word tereo, and it means to guard, to keep an eye on, to watch or observe attentively. Now, what you're going to notice, I didn't say in the definition of the word, and this is very important to understand, is that most people, when they read 1 John, they automatically assume that this word keep means obey. In fact, that's what many people will go right to with this word. They'll read the verse uh, 3 this way. Now, by this we know that we know him if we obey his commandments. So in other words, uh, if you truly know Jesus Christ, you'll obey his commandments. That's how many people would teach this. But again, notice the definition of the word. It means to guard, to keep an eye on, to watch or to observe attentively. And so the ultimate goal or outcome of this word is obedience to God, God's commandments and manner of life. However, we've got to point out this word in and of itself is not synonymous with obedience. This word reflects the heart attitude and valuation of taking Jesus's word so seriously that we keep our eyes on them. This means we adjust our thinking to Jesus's words and commandments. This means we walk in constant consideration of Jesus's words and commandments. Now, this heart attitude does not always produce 
obedience. In fact, consider Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. He was a man who had a heart to obey God, but due to his approach, he was highly unsuccessful in doing so consistently. And see, the new man within each believer desires to keep their eye on and value the words of Jesus Christ and what God wants to accomplish in and through their life. But just that heart attitude does not always produce obedience. But the heart attitude, that mental attitude, is key to being in fellowship with the Lord. Now, the fact that John uses a third-class condition here indicates that maybe we will and maybe we won't keep Jesus's commandments, but he hopes he will. We will. And why does he hope that we will? Well, based on the theme just considered, chapters 1-1 to 2-2, it's because John wants his readers to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. This is what he's talking about here when he talks about the word keep. It's desiring. He wants us to desire. It's got to start there in our fellowship with the Lord. If we're just blowing Jesus Christ off and not paying attention to his words and not keeping our eye on what he said, we're, we're showing that we have no desire to be in fellowship with the Lord. And that's very important uh, in order to, to do so. And so if this condition, keeping his commandments is met, then we know that we know him. And know here means to come to know. It's a, it's a knowledge that is gained or received over a process of time. And so many people will see the word know here and assume that this is talking about whether or not someone is saved. And um, the scriptures do use the word know to describe whether or not someone is saved. But ironically, the scriptures also use the same word know to describe how unbelievers know God through creation and their conscience. They, he uses, uh, Paul uses it that way in Romans one twenty one. Um, but clearly they're not saved, it, but it's used of an unbeliever there. No, so it's definitely not a, a technical term for a believer. Um, additionally, the scriptures use the word know, the same word know, to describe spiritual growth and fellowship with the Lord. And we find that uh, in Philippians, we find that use in Philippians 3.10, when, he, when Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, Paul wasn't saying that I might get saved, but that he might grow spiritually uh, and grow in his fellowship with the Lord. And this is how I believe it's used in our passage. So one might say that if a believer keeps his commandments, values, keeps his eye on, um, just puts a great emphasis on, if you will, in his thinking, then he or she is in fellowship with the Lord and growing spiritually. In fact, the perfect tense is used here to, to put an emphasis on present results. And because of its structure, it communicates a complete and full knowledge. Again, This all points to ongoing fellowship or intimacy with the Lord. 